going on down there. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another supplemental here on WTF at TFW. Uh, this is Evangelist speaking, and I'm doing an interview over Skype with someone from another time zone. I am joined today by Sid Beckett of the Unrustable Bastards for a segment I am calling Unrustable Bass Talk. Hello, Sid. Hey, how are we doing? Pretty good. Uh, I saw you at TFCon in Chicago. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, you you were busy over there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a a busy show, and I was uh, I was all over the place uh, due to jet lag and time displacement. But it was fun. I enjoyed it. I always enjoyed TFCon. Yeah, it was, was kind of cool to see. I remember the uh, the day before the dealer room opened. I, I think you were you were at the business center on a laptop until some ungodly hour of the evening. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> I I tried to launch Friday night. Because uh, everything was ready to go by like Wednesday, Thursday, and I was like, "Well, hey, I had a clever idea. If I launch Friday night, uh, I can spend a few hours doing uh, all the publicity stuff and sending the links out everywhere. Meaning Saturday morning, I'd be free to just talk to people and promote the project, and you know, generally have a more laid-back, fun time of it." Yeah. Uh, and instead, the Kickstarter decided not to launch Friday night. Hmm. And tech support sort of ignored me for 12 hours, uh, and I, I had to rush to get everything done Saturday morning. But yeah, we launched. That was the important thing. We launched on time when we said we would, uh, and it was all good. That's the way it goes, right? Like the, yeah. the most best laid plans, it'll still always come down to the wire. Um, yeah, that's, that's why I'm glad I tried to launch early, because otherwise I would have had all those problems Saturday morning. And would we have launched on time? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, for folks who uh, want to specifically know what we're talking about and still don't, uh, we're talking about Unrustable Bastards. It's your Kickstarter project for uh, a toy line that I believe you previewed at least two years ago uh, at, yep. at the first TFCon Chicago, if I remember correctly. It was uh, it was TFCon Canada in Toronto in 2013. Which, oh, uh, right. That year before. Yeah. <laughs> That's three years. It is. Uh, and this is uh, an original uh, fiction and toy line. Uh, the the total bullet points of it is it's a G.I. Joe scaled motorcycle, uh, futuristic, with uh, a G.I. Joe scaled-ish uh, robot rider. Motorcycle turns into a robot that has no chest. The rider turns into said chest, installs in there, and uh, that's kind of the toyetic side of it. Uh, you also have got some original fiction going on. You guys have got uh, the... I guess uh, options not quite the right word, but you guys are open to uh, seeing people's customized riders and uh, working the the ones that you like the most into the fiction itself. And uh, yes, absolutely. So uh, the idea with that is uh, it's a motorcycle outlaw motorcycle group, uh, and there's with any motorcycle group you have chapters all over the place um, across the world. In the case of some motorcycle groups we're taking it a step further and our motorcycle group has chapters all over the universe uh, and when people customize the project and they send in like a backstory and who their character is and why we should care about their character the ones we like will become patched in and part of the official universe of the unrustable bastards and they'll be assigned a chapter depending on their terran location here on earth 
Cool. And uh, and that's something that, that is really worth restating. Uh, despite some of the stretch goals, uh, you know, obviously having uh, some homage color scheme stuff going on if, if things go far enough, uh, this <laughs> is a fully original, like, uh, non non pulling license non uh you know your typical 3p as they call it kind of thing this is meant to be original transforming designs which i am always in support of because i feel like that's the logical place to go in the next however many years uh for a lot of these folks yeah we we totally agree with that which is uh why it was important for us to start this project and obviously i mean we've been we announced it in 2013 so we've been uh We've, we've been thinking about this for some time and we're looking at the market and the trends and the the pop elite itself nature of third party competition. Um, mm. So it's it's as much as anything, it's a project we really want to do, uh, which is why we're doing it. Otherwise, we wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, but as well as that, it is also sort of there's a, there, there is logic behind it in terms of how long will the third party bandwagon last yeah and, and i think I, I think it's already lasted longer than most people predicted absolutely uh, i'm sure i've said in older podcasts and in this particular podcast uh, that I, I i would have been surprised to see it go past i think it was like 2013 was the date when i thought things might start to crumple yeah. um and uh characters that are not you know transformers homage like they pop up here and there the, the easiest and most often referred to example would be fans project steel core and uh they are also often received with um not like i wouldn't say derision but i'm sure you've heard the the common uh comment which is who's that supposed to be yeah which oh I, yeah yeah that's that's one of the first questions we got when we first announced the project yeah and i'm sure that's got to be as, as as a creative like one of the most like it's frustrating because you can't just tell someone off if, if it does, you know, hit a nerve. But it's 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 <laughs> it's got to be like one of one of the the trickiest questions to answer in a way that doesn't shut out whoever's asking it, right? Yeah, I mean, totally. And you have to look at where people are asking it. So, like, if we promote on TFW heavily, and people come on there and go, "Who's it supposed to be?" I totally understand why people would think it would it might be a transformer. Yeah. Because we're on a Transformers site. So that makes total sense. And obviously, Cassie Sark has a reputation as the third-party designer. So, like follows like. And they think, well, he's always done Transformers third-party homages. So this must be a Transformers third-party homage. So, uh, yeah, it, I'm sure it can be frustrating for some. I've always taken the approach that I, I always like people who ask questions. Mm -hmm. um, I'd rather be a fool for a minute than a fool for a lifetime. So, I, yeah, any question is a good question to me. And, man, let me tell you, I'm full of questions. And uh, let me tell you, often, often they can be a little dumb, but they, uh, I, I've always felt very well defended by that statement about no questions being dumb questions, though I, I'll, I'll always tell people, no, I, I probably have some dumb questions. But <laughs> hopefully I filtered those out of my brain before we started the Skype call, because I wanted to then move on to uh, talking about uh cassie sark who is uh working with you on this project you guys are kind of a duo uh in uh, this really weird little thing that i i still tend to call a niche even though it's the weirdest largest niche in toys right now i think um so you guys have worked together on a lot of projects and obviously you're working together on this one uh did you guys both kind of hit this idea around about the same time was this the result of like one of those sort of pub conversations or did this grow from somewhere else it grew uh, 
it, it's it's kind of what we do when we go on long car journeys and hang out and stuff. Uh, inevitably, we come round to the concept of creating our own intellectual property, something we own, something we can fully control. Um, and this this span out of um, a larger concept, which was built off the back of a concept that was originally too large to do. So let me try and explain that a bit better. Okay. Uh, we had an idea for a kids' cartoon which would have toys and uh, a comic tie-in and all sorts of great stuff that you want if you're doing a large, widespread Generator Rex, Ben 10-style kids' franchise. Yeah. Uh, and that's great. But from the school of Robert Rodriguez comes film what you know. So there's no point Robert Rodriguez writing a script that he cannot possibly film in his studio. Uh, so he'll always write and create projects that he knows he can finish. Uh, and it sounds like the simplest, most obvious thing in the world, but it is it is a textbook example of making sure you can walk before you try and run. Mm-hmm. So rather than trying to do this huge, big kid show and pitching it, we're like, well, let's let's do something a bit smaller, a bit more self-contained, something that we can control, and then hopefully we build a name for ourselves, people know who we are, and we can take it to that next level when we're ready to, rather than failing miserably trying to do something too big. So out of, out of the project, uh, which I will simply refer to as Beta Sun and leave it at that, mm-hmm. we put that to one side, and then we started coming up with uh, concepts for the Robo Dominion universe, which is lots of different self-contained, free-act storylines set in one shared universe. Um, so the idea is, if we do a story, there is a beginning, there is a middle, there is an end. Uh, some of the characters live, some of the characters die. We don't necessarily have to come back to them, but it means each story we do has resolution. Because uh, as a storyteller, I find that quite important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is, there is. I mean, I've grown up reading comic books. I love comic books. All comic books are second act. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's starting to become the problem with the Marvel movie universe now. People are starting to go, well, that was good, but it didn't really do that much. And what's next? And it's always predicated on what's next, what's next, what's next. And mm-hmm. it does. It, it's gotten to the point with Marvel where the I think the end teasers in the credits are almost more important than the movie. No, absolutely. Um... And it's that Walking Dead uh, last three minute culture. It's classic serialization, you know, like yeah. end on a cliffhanger, tune in next time. Um, and and I, I, I totally agree. Like uh, maybe not even so specifically the movies, but just uh, the big two uh, are always living with this internal battle of, of wanting to just have these sort of eternal characters having adventures while also wanting to have a high stakes cliffhanger to keep people coming back. And uh the, the way you're describing this kind of reminds me of uh, of one of my favorite films of the last few years, which was Carl Urban in Dread, where you you clearly have the greater, you know, 2000 AD uh, universe existing in the background behind the walls of the building where the, most of the movie's taking place. Absolutely, and, and yeah, yeah. The film ends. It feels satisfying. It feels like, hey, I bet I bet he's going to go on another adventure out there, but I don't need to see that to feel content with this film on its own. Yeah, but it would be nice to see the next adventure in Dread. <laughs> it, it would. I've signed petitions before. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it would be nice. <laughs> and I, I saw on your guys' website um, that you know you've you've got 
some uh, some line art, some uh, some art for other r- mechanical designs outside of the Unrustable Bastard's motorcycle, uh, which I, I, I took as saying, if this goes well, you certainly have other things you could immediately consider producing. Um, Absolutely, in, in yeah. not like the yeah. near future, of course, because toy production is what it is, but... Uh, maybe nearer than people expect, uh, because... The, the the other designs that we've shared and we've talked about in, include the Yamakuzi, sorry Yamazukis. Uh, I've had a horrible tendency to call them Yamakuzis later. <laughs> I think I've been playing too many video games with Yakuza in. So yeah, Yamazukis uh, are a street racing group of uh, urchins. They live on the street and they patch together whatever they've got to make sure their bikes are running and racing. Um, unlike the bastards who are a bit more military organized with a clear hierarchy, mm-hmm. the, the, the street urchins of the Yamazukis just, they, they live to survive, they survive to live, and if they can get a little racing done and make a little money on the sidelines, they will. And that's where they kind of run into uh, the unrushful bastards and have a antagonist-protagonist battle with them. It's not always clear who's right and who's wrong, mm-hmm. um, because that... That happens sometimes in life, right? I mean, it's it's shades of grey. It's not always black and white. And that brings me to the enforcers, who are the real bad guys of the piece. Uh, they are a police force who are out to stop the bastards at any cost. Mm. Um, so it's a police force for an incredibly corrupt government who control all the central planets. Uh, there is a little bit of firefly in that, in, in terms of... All the control comes from the central planets, and the unrustable bastards are increasingly moving to the fringe planets to try and escape the controlling government. Um, the enforcers are like they're a corrupt police force, more SWAT vehicles than just police cars, and that because police cars is very much really a kind of English concept. Well, not an English yeah. concept, sorry, a, a, an urban concept. You need something to get the policemen from point to point. Um, so with the enforcers, they've actually upgraded their body to be a big vehicle. So rather than being a small figure with a vehicle, they will be just a big vehicle. Um, there is a whole story outlining the reasons behind why people would join the gangs and why some people would choose to join the corrupt police force that everyone knows is corrupt. Uh, and they do at times echo real life, but for the most part, it's meant to be entertaining. Well, and well, uh, and, and design wise, something I enjoyed looking through the artwork was that with all these concepts, it's like it's 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 clear that like a lot of this stuff is informed by stuff that folks who just like transforming robots could could find quite accessible because it's uh, it's clearly on a visual level coming from folks who like transforming robots. So, Absolutely. You know, I, I see, yeah. I see, I see. You know, concepts and hints here and there of like, oh, it's you know, it's it's kind of like this take on a transforming robot, and it feels like you guys aren't uh, going out of your way to try to uh, justify it. It's kind of like I, I like how you're sort of just stating like these guys upgraded their bodies so they themselves turn into a giant vehicle, and it's not then sidetracked really into um, a lengthy explanation up front. Like I'm, you know, as he's mentioned, like you've got fiction there, but I feel like your guys' universe is sort of. Uh, operating with a confidence that I like to see of, listen, our universe has transforming robots in it. And that's step one. Go. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, the idea behind that is it, it's millions of years into the future. The universe is still doing just fine. Uh, organic life isn't doing so well, having gone extinct. 
most materials have been extracted and exploited time and time again. So now it becomes a, a literally a battle for survival, not for energy, not for good versus evil, right versus wrong. There mm. are finite resources out there, uh, and everyone wants them. And, uh, and and creating that backdrop is probably the first thing that I would tend to say when people, because there have been conversations in past, uh, a whole lot actually, I think around the, uh, a couple of years ago, where folks are starting to say, why don't any of these guys move on to doing their own original ips and the easy answer is like a lot of the folks that i know who work on this stuff are toy designers first and creating an ip is not as simple as going like well i gave this i gave this robot this name this is his enemy like that's not an engaging <laughs> ip you know and i, I yeah. think there, there was a lot of um realization over the last couple of years that like you can't just take a third party transformers homage figure paint it blue give it a different name and people will flock to it. Like I actually was, I used to believe that would work. Like for a long time, I said, I think make toys Quantron would work just fine if it was in white and blue and uh, everything turned into like a spaceship. But I talked to a lot of people and uh, I, I was legitimately astounded by the number, of people, the number of people who said their interest in the piece would be greatly diminished by just that. So uh, it, it's an uphill battle, I'm sure, from from your perspective. It is, it is. I mean, it's an interesting point because, like you say, a lot of people think release it in any colour, people will buy it. And I think that's true to a certain extent. If you can put the flimsiest of obscure homages to the colour scheme, then people will still use that as an excuse to buy a nice toy. Mm. But if it, if it just doesn't fit, it just doesn't fit. And uh, actually a really good example of that and this isn't a cheap plug, this is lesson learned. Uh, I did an exclusive run for my web store called um, Black Hawk Down, mm -hmm. which were two cassettes from KFC. It was it was the, the monkey and the eagle that combined to form... Um, I can't even remember the original oh, Hasbro like, names now. I think theirs was called Box Bomber. Yeah, the, the KFC was Box Bomber. I think it's... Uh, I can't even remember oh, the Hasbro uh, names. Beast Box. And Squawk Talk, yeah. Yeah. That's it. So I did that, and um, Keith offered me the set in shattered glass colours. Uh, I said no, because he wanted to make too many of them. And he said, what about if we did a smaller run of colours of your choice? And very cynically, I said, oh, let's do it in black. Everyone likes a black repaint. And that was literally the extent to the thought that went into that design. Mm -hmm. And it was an expensive lesson for me to learn. But the fandom didn't respond strongly. Mm -hmm. The fandom sort of went, uh, "Why is that? Why does that exist? It's a black repaint of two obscure characters. I don't need it. I don't want it. I'll I'll skip." And it was actually, you know, it's quite. It cost me money, but it was really nice to see that the industry isn't just fickle and cynical. You can't just build it and they will come. You have to give people a reason to care. Yeah, uh, and while we we didn't do it with that project, I like to think we've done it with pretty much every project we've worked on since, uh, including like the awesome sticker book for the glacial bots that we did recently for fans project. Um, that that put I, a smile on my face. I, I like that thing. Uh, in, yeah, that's, in a way, it's hard to describe to people because it's kind of like either you're going to get this or it's not going to click at all. And <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I think the test is: Did you buy a sticker album in 1986? Yeah. And if you did, you will like the project. <laughs> <laughs> it's that simple. Um, so yeah, it's it's just giving people a reason to care, and that's we're trying very hard to do that with the mayhem mechanics. Uh, we are shipping the the idea. We are trying to sell the project to comic book companies, so we can. Um, Essentially, we will still own the IP, so obviously we're not we're not talking to Marvel in DC because they like to keep everything. Yeah. Uh, but we're we're trying to get it published through one of the the smaller press books. Oh, that's but excellent. hopefully, hopefully, still front half of previews would be nice. But that's the plan. And, and um, I mean, going into that relationship, uh, being able to say, also, we got a toy to sell. I, I assume would be a boon. One would hope, because that's not everyone can do that. Usually a lot of people will, will do it the opposite way. They'll go to uh, a comic production company and say, we've got this idea, and we would like to eventually make toys from it. Yeah. Um, I remember people saying that about Battle Chasers and Telos when they launched. Um, in fact, I had one friend who described both of those books as glorified toy catalogs, which I felt was a bit harsh. It's, it's one of those realities, I think, that, um, you know, people who, who are enthusiastic for media and, and stuff like that have learned in the last, I would say, just five years is that it's not that simple to actually get a toy line made, even if you have all these designs done, if you have all this legwork done. the Having talked to indie toy designers, even, like the, the part where a physical toy now exists is a momentous occasion for just about anyone I've ever talked to because it's, it's, it's the biggest hump to get over. Yeah, it's a big sleep, and we're we're trying to do that the other way around. So we we've, we've got the project, we've got the prototype in hand, uh, we've got the Kickstarter. It's doing very well. We're at like sixty seven percent. We still have work to do over the next seventeen days, but uh, I'm very I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I try never to be overly confident on these things because I think overconfidence leads to complacency, leads mm-hmm. to failure. And I don't want that to happen with this. This means a lot to us. And oh, we definitely, definitely want to see it happen. So, like, I'll tell yeah, you, but... I, I've seen a lot of Kickstarters hit 60 fast, but then it's sort of that was the last news bulletin they had for a long time was they hit 60 fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we've got... Uh, I'm trying not to apply on the pressure too much in week two because I think that can burn people out as well. Mm. So, like, week one... You, you hit the throttle hard and you come in fast and, and you kick some ass and take some names. Then then I think it's best to back off for a couple of weeks so you don't burn people out and tire people out and annoy people. Exactly. Um, so it's it's giving the Kickstarter time to breathe, time to re- re- you know, like raise its own awareness. You can send out some press releases here and there on the quiet and try and get some new, um, front page on news sites. Uh, but and that's about the extent of it. And then in the last week, again, we'll come in and we'll hit it really hard and hopefully take it over the finishing line if we're not already there before. Well, uh, mo- moving the focus sort of towards the, the the toy end of things, which is what the bulk of the Kickstarter is about. Um, you guys did, as you said, like it was three years ago. You guys sort of had the design debuted, and uh, you are moving into this Kickstarter with a physical prototype that I saw at TFCon, uh, hand painted resin. It's uh, it's surviving, it seems. Uh, I've, I've handled stuff at that stage of production now, and I, I, I know firsthand that like that that's the most confident-looking but least confident-feeling stage of a toy's existence. Um, how, how's that thing been holding up since, since Chicago? Yeah, really good. It's been transformed back and forth uh, at least a dozen times now for 
for various displays and painting and various reasons. And uh, considering it's a resin hard copy um, and there's been no tooling or engineering done to it since we got the physical hard copy, it's really remarkably good. It's stable. You can stand it up. You can pose it. You can move it back and forth. Uh, the hands are grippy. Like, it's remarkably advanced for the level we're at. Um, oh, nice. And I hope, I hope that doesn't give us false confidence. But, yeah, it's really nice to see. I mean, I took it. It's in London at the minute. It's going to be on display in Orbital Comics uh, starting, I think, starting this week. It should be on display in Orbital Comics in London. So it's right in the centre of London in the best comic shop in London. Um, that's official because they won an Eisner Award for the spirit of retailing. <laughs> so definitely check out Orbital Comics because they're a great store. But they will have the uh, prototype on display for two weeks starting very, very soon. I saw some uh, some photos on Twitter from... Uh, I, I always see photos now and then, usually coming from folks like, like Glaug or Maz. And it's always saying hashtag pubecon. And it's <laughs> toys on a pub table, and uh, and I saw a shot of I saw a shot of uh, the Unrustable Bastards prototype there, and I was like, I didn't think that would still be in one piece by now. So it was it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, it was basically uh, I was supposed to go to the comic shop early in the day, uh, but when I'm in London, I, there's usually three or four things I need to be doing. So I was seeing people and hanging out and doing stuff, and then the handover where I gave the prototype to the the guy who runs Orbital Comics happened at PubbyCon. So, uh... How's depending that? On how, well, you know, we're immature, <laughs> so we do usually pronounce it PubeCon, but yeah. I believe the etymology of it was PubEcon. Oh, okay. Cause I, yeah, I just figured it was someone tried to type PubCon and then, you know, an E slipped in and it just sort of stuck. But that, that makes more sense. It, it could be that as well. I, I think... No one's a hundred percent sure, but it was a it was a sad one this week with uh, Maz leaving the UK for uh, colder pastures. Oh, jeez! So, uh, yeah, yeah, heartbreaking. But you know, we all got to have a good time and send him off. And you know, I bought the Unrushable Bastards for an incredibly cheap plug. And you know, people did their job and took photos and shared it on Twitter, <laughs> which is what it's about. Uh, well, well, speaking of the, the fact it survived a number of transformations, I think I saw this on, on the Facebook page or something, but are you planning to show the transformation process in a video form uh, while the campaign's running? Uh, perhaps I jumped the gun because a few people asked me that and I said yes, totally, because like my approach to it is always, uh, you know, if people ask for something, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll do that, absolutely. Um, having spoken with the committee, the team behind it, we are now of the feeling that if we do that, it takes away from the very fun in-hand experience of the end product. Uh, so it's a bit of a risk because, you know, we, we want the project to succeed. We want as many people to back it as possible. But at the same time, we want the people who do back it to have that experience firsthand. The first transformation should be a great and positive experience for everyone. We mm. feel it very much will be when they have the toy in hand. Um, so we don't really want to spoil that. All right. Are so it's, we, we, we're there. We, I'm still in two minds. Um, the, mm. the rest of the team have outvoted me on this. I, I could go <laughs> either way. But the as always, with anything like that, the easiest thing, the easiest way to get what you want is make some noise in a positive way. <laughs> yeah. So if, 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 you, if you desperately want to see a Kickstarter video, tweet, Facebook, hit us up on TFW, make some noise, and I can take that to everyone else on the project and say, hey, look, 
uh, everyone wants this. Because at the minute I'm saying, well, like, you know, people want a video. And they're like, well, how many people? And I'm like, oh, two or three. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. well, that's not everyone. Uh, you know, you can't take... You can't take just a few voices as as the majority, and yeah, there is truth to that. So, um, mm-hmm. no offense to anyone who wants to see the video. I love the fact that they care enough to to be invested to want to see it right now. That's awesome. Thank you. But maybe not. We're gonna have to see on that one. Yeah, I was gonna say it sounded like uh, any kind of any kind of video capture of of any of the workings of the figure, be it transformation, be it an articulation demo. I was going to ask you if that's the kind of thing that backers and or potential backers might want to just leave as, as a comment on one of your social media outlets. Uh, yeah, I mean, please do. Make some noise. Talk to us. We, we like hearing comments and opinions uh, for sure. One of the ideas for the transformation video was I was going to stick it in Cassie Sark's hands and just film him as he transformed it and talked about it. Hmm. So, that that um, would just just on a totally selfish level, uh, whether or not you do it before or after the campaign, I'd love to to hear that either way. Because um, one of my favorite things on YouTube from from this whole scene is when uh, I believe it's, he goes by Five Three Nine, the guy who does some design work for X Transbots. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel where when one of his designs hits production and he gets his samples of it, he does a transformation run through, but it's sort of like a director's commentary of sorts. Uh, oh, that's really cool. I've never seen that. You, it's, you're going to have to send me a link later on. It's barely publicized. Like, I, I happened to cross it while looking for a video of how uh, Andras worked. And there was basically the designer talking his way through the transformation and explaining at least the intent of how some of the mechanisms worked. And I was like, this is super cool. And it seems like no one cares. <laughs> that's that's that, really that is... sad to me. That is very cool. That's kind of ultra nerdy. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge nerd for toy design, uh, as you know, from the perspective of a consumer, less so than someone who actually works on toys. So I love it when uh, even the Hasbro designer desk to a certain degree, like when I get to hear a designer for at least a second express their enthusiasm or intent behind something they did. Like, I find that really valuable for appreciating the piece uh, beyond just owning it, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, that's actually why one of my favourite UK conventions is Rollout Roll Call, um, because they the panels they put on tend to be less about, look what's coming out, isn't it a nice toy, and more about a designer talking you through why they designed something a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it's a really... It's niche. It, it probably doesn't hit the mainstream appeal quite like a Hasbro panel at BotCon, but it's if you're interested in toys and toy design and you really want to get invested in 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 that process, Rollout Rock will do some amazing panels and it's it's a fantastic show. And again, they've they've always been very supportive of us as well. So you know, hence the cheap plug. <laughs> well, it's always been one of my personal goals as as a fan who has a little soapbox to stand on and shout from to. Try to one of, if I have one goal with the fandom and, and any way I could impact it, it's to try to get more people interested in uh, in the design side of toys and wanting to hear from the people who work on them, because uh, it, it's 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 a thing that can take. I found it took my enjoyment of all this stuff to another level. Um, yeah, absolutely, you know. absolutely. It's it's um, there's the Richard Feynman analogy there, where um, famous scientist who works on the Manhattan Project and the Challenger disaster, and like he had an artist come up to him and say that like I can appreciate a flower in a way you can't appreciate a flower because I can just look at it and see its beauty. And Richard Feynman responded, 
well, you look at a flower and you see its beauty. I look at a flower and I see everything behind the process that makes that flower work. I see mm. chlorophyll, I see the stem, I see the filament, and I see its beauty. So I love and appreciate that in a completely different way to you. And I think, like, might seem like a strange analogy, but, you know, we're all nerds here, right? So, yeah, yeah and I think that can happen with toys as well. The more, the more you put in, the more you get out. Yeah, so I mean, like, I, I just like to throw in my one little vote here for uh, whenever it happens. I'd love to hear the designer commentary on on the bastard bike. Um, Excellent. Yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, it's it is a good idea. I'm writing that down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, as far as far as the production of the toy, um, and, and I'm not sure how much you can say on record, but like, you, I, I know you mentioned at, at the show, like one of the biggest things that caused, I guess, the delay was you guys wanted to make sure that the figure was going to be built to a certain level of quality uh, and that you wouldn't have the tragedy that happens to so many things in, in the, the third-party Transformers homage market, which is first-time designer gets his first toy out there and then has bad luck with the factory, and that's that as far as reputation goes. Um, yeah, that's... Three things happened, uh, and, you, and you've... You pretty much summarized it beautifully, but I'll do what I do and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be more wordy than I need to be. So the first <laughs> thing that happened was we announced a project way too soon. Um, fair play to TF, uh, TFCon for la- allowing us to go up on stage and go, hey, look, we have this amazing project. Aren't we cool? We're doing our own thing. But we were so not ready. Um, and interestingly... Sometimes when you take a leap and you're not ready, it starts the wheels in motion and the cogs turning. Uh, and I, I do strongly believe that had we waited until we were ready, we still wouldn't be ready now. And no one would have ever heard of it and nothing would be happening. So there is mm-hmm. something to say about leaping before you look sometimes. And just, uh, yeah, if you wait until you're ready to do everything, you'll you'll die of old age having accomplished nothing. So, yeah. <laughs> We, we definitely shouldn't have announced it when we did, but I'm very glad we did because that's where we are now. Um, and we actually could have had it out really, really quickly. Um, but, and you have to tread carefully here because I still work for various people in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to wait until we had the factory that I felt would do it justice. Yeah. And that's that's about as diplomatic as I can say that. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like, I, I don't want to start dropping names all over the place, but yeah. you know, you guys waited until you could secure a, a notable factory with proven quality, uh, yeah. And that, that's that's what got my uh, my own confidence in your project up when when you know the, the everything kind of comes together and it's like oh right, so you you know it's it's not going to. And I, I hate to, I hate to drop a project name, but I mean this one even the designer I think said this like you know poor omnigonic spin out right like that sunstreaker um where yeah, the, the, was... des- the designer was so active before and after the release and really just he he got a, a you know short shrift on on factory production and it, it was a shame to see uh because i i feel like a lot of people don't think about the people who design the figures as people to a certain degree in in some of the greater swaths if i was going to broad stroke you know the the uh, the customer base for a lot of that stuff. So it was, it was, it was sort of, it sucked to watch sort of the, the summary dismissal of someone who was so active. And, um, he, he let, he left on a certain note where it sounds like he wants to come back and I hope he does. Uh, but yeah, like, I hope he does too. Cause like anyone who does, anyone who's bought a toy 
project to market has achieved something. Yeah. Even if they haven't achieved what they wanted to achieve, they've still done it. Um, you know, the the absence of a perfect item isn't as impressive as the existence of a subpar item. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you, and I'll always tell people, because I think now people are starting to forget this, but once upon a time, Mastermind Creations, who now is known for at least, you know, the reformatted line being a, one of the, the pillars of solid construction, uh, they they used to be the comeback kid story with the Nightmore for Commander into Annihilator. And yeah, I, I, always, I always bring that one up where I'm like, listen, like, you, a lot of you guys say, like, oh, there should be more companies like Mastermind. It's like they had to do a friggin' comeback themselves. Yeah, interestingly, I started working for Mastermind Creations literally just as Cyclops came out. Uh, and I loved Cyclops. I still love Cyclops. To me, that's a great example of what a third-party toy should be. Something mm. very ambitious and something that has Hasbro and Takara would never, ever do. Um, and I've, I've had Cyclops for three years now, and I love it. But we had an uphill struggle because I was their online guy. Um, I was the first voice of MMC on TFW, mm. and public opinion was harsh. And it was a big journey to turn it around. Of course, the fact that the products were very good and got better and better and better, that really helped. Yeah. That really helped. But the um, the guy in charge, uh, Penguin One, uh, his name's on the box, so that's not, not a big secret. <laughs> he, uh, he got really despondent when Cyclops came out and, um, and didn't perform as expected and got a lot of negativity. And it... it it did kind of make him harder uh, and, and maybe more analytical and cynical, but he has channeled that energy into something amazingly positive. And yeah, MMC have been on fire for the last three, two, three years, and it's been great to watch. Yeah, that's why I always tell people, like, you know, give, I would tell anyone, give any new designer, new company, give them at least two strikes, you know, because a lot, there's a, there's a lot more to a company than the one person who is speaking or who is the face of, of the design um but in your in your guys's case of course you're coming from from uh you know uh, i would say a dynamic duo who have worked on a whole lot of stuff um and i was actually gonna, gonna talk to you a little bit about that uh because you you and cassie have worked together on so many things uh across multiple companies and etc uh for you guys as as two guys who have done a lot of stuff um obviously when you do enough projects there are going to be ones that are that you know you're super into there's gonna be ones maybe you're not as into for you two guys what like i don't know how much you can speak on cassie's behalf of course but like what what are what what's like a what's the main thing that you really like to do in this field of, of creating right now at least robot toys that have multiple modes like what's what's the thing that really stokes your fire creatively well, it's a very good question, and I like the fact that you said I can't speak for Cassie, because I think sometimes a lot of people forget that me and Cassie are two different people. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, uh, I, I can give a slight overview on, on Cassie's stuff. He really likes the creative side of it. He likes uh, problem-reaction-solution. Um, so a really good example is the, the jump starters, the, the first demolition crew figures from Mech Ideas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was just walking around Tesco's doing his thing, and the idea popped into his head of, wouldn't that be a cool transformation? So we went home, he made the figures in like a week and a half, like, very quick. 
because he just was hit by inspiration. Yeah. Uh, and he did that. That was that was a cold submission. He took that to Penguin One and said, "Hey, what do you think of these? You want them?" And they said yes. And Mech Ideas was became the uh, the project home. Uh, and within six months, they were out and on the market. And that was incredible. I've never, there's very few figures that you'll ever see turned around in six months. Usually you're talking two years. Yeah, uh, but, but, those, those were even miracles as far as, as cost. Like, they, they were a, a, a textbook example of, like, a figure where I could not believe their, their price point. Yeah, like, and they, like, were really, they were really fun. They did their own thing. They homaged the originals, but without trying to recreate the originals. Um, yeah. And I think that's that kind of thing is what Cassie tends to really enjoy doing. Something where it's it's it has its own eureka moment. It has its own unique nature. Um, when it comes to doing the current masterpiece market, where it's just, look, do G1 but a bit bigger with more articulation and maybe a few nods to the cartoon. Uh, he'll, he'll do it. He'll enjoy doing it. It's, it's a job and he loves Transformers, so he'll always do it. But it doesn't allow him the creativity he really enjoys. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's a shame. Well, I, I always felt that that's got to be... I mean, uh, having watched some of his videos, like it seems like 539, who I hope I'm getting his name right, because that's how I always remember it. Like, it, it seems like he he takes some enjoyment out of how do I make this look like the cartoon models come hell or high water in both modes. Yeah. But I, I always feel like it's it's got to eventually be really wearying to operate in the masterpiece alike side of things where people just want something and even at times go like i want this one so i can have it until a different one comes out i like more like like preemptively even going in with like almost i don't know how to put this in a way that's not a little too aggressive but it's like it always feels like there are folks who want to buy masterpiece alikes as temporary toys which i i personally find a little crazy like i, I don't understand that notion entirely I've, I've kind of come to understand it from afar but yeah, the... no, I'm 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 the same as you in that one. I think like uh, everyone's getting really excited about the cone heads coming out from Takara at the minute, mm. uh, and some people are getting excited about is it Toy World who are doing their own as well? Yeah, yeah. So cone heads are back in vogue, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, that's really cool for people who are excited, but I've had those for five years from iGear, and like they've been really good in my collection. I've I've got the repro labels on them. I've done the whole thing. Uh, I have a matching set of seven. They all transform the same. They all work. Sunstorm is the right color, so that's very important to me for some reason. <laughs> and like, I won't replace them because they've served me well. And I kind of feel like, um, you know, give them a salute. They've done their job. So I'm not. I'm not just going to sell them now. That there's an official version on the market. Yeah, um, for me, it's more just that preemptiveness, like the. the going in with the anticipation of not even wanting to own the toy until like, that was a good example. Um, when uh, ocular max Sphinx was coming out uh, and it was, it was announced, but the DX nine Mirage uh, invisible was out. I literally saw a post once and said, well, I'm going to buy invisible for now until Sphinx comes out. And I was like, I just don't understand that mentality very well. Cause it's like, if you are, if you actually <laughs> want the different toy, why are you buying the other one? That but it sounds uh, like you don't want. <laughs> I agree, but then I find there's some people who go the other way, and it's like, well, I really, really want Predaking, like the Feral Rex from MMC. It's beautiful. It does everything right. I really want it. Yeah. But but 
Hasbro might do something one day. Oh, yes, for sure. So I'll leave it, and I'm like, well, you know, it's, they're, they're, surely there comes a middle ground. And that's it's a middle ground that's different for every person. There is there is no uh, objective right or wrong with that. Um, Absolutely. But it's, yeah, for me, it's like, well, yeah, I could just sell all my toys now, wait 50 years, <laughs> see what happens. You know, they might be cheaper, there might be better options on the market, or I might just be dead. So, yeah, yeah, you have to... It's sort of a bigger question, isn't it, really? Yeah, it ties yeah. in. It ties into life. Uh, and at some point, life has to be for living. Uh, yeah, and if, it, if for me that means going out and buying expensive toys, then that's what I'll do. I, I try to tell people myself, like, you know, put as much thought into your collection as you want to, but if it's becoming stressful, like, it's not bad to just pick up a figure because you think it looks cool. And Yeah, yeah. And, you I, know, I, I, if, I, if a cooler one comes out someday, like when, when official Masterpiece Shockwave came out and that conversation started, I was like, if I end up liking that toy more than the Quake Wave I have, I've had Quake Wave for like three or four years. I got my money's worth out of it. So if a better one came out, then that I'm not sad that I, I four years ago picked up a figure. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree with you on that one. And, you know, in the case of Quake Wave and MP Soundwave, I did enjoy Quake Wave more. So bought both, kept Quake Wave. Yeah. Um, but uh, just, uh, I'm trying to remember where we started. I was asking you about what excites you guys. Yeah, uh, so for me, I, I like world building. Um, if someone comes in and says, hey, can you do a profile for for this guy? I'll be like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Um, and I'll always try and... It, it can be difficult with profiles when you've only got like 150 words, 200 words. It's like, well... Hmm. What's going to make people remember this profile? Uh, and I tend to find that people won't necessarily remember fun facts about the range and the top speed of a car. But if you can put some kind of joke in there with an obscure reference or an obscure homage uh, to something that happened 20, 30 years ago, that tends to stick with people. Yeah. So um, that was my way of making the iGear profiles fun. That was one of my earliest jobs. And I did just sneak in as many obscure jokes as I could. <laughs> but usually the thing that gets, yeah, the thing that excites me is world building. So, um, and that can sometimes be a negative thing because in the case of the Packin comic, the battle for Moritaurus that came with Feral Rex, uh, I still don't know if that story landed or if it was too ambitious for 66 pages of Packin comic books. Uh, but I like we tried. I like the fact we 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 did go for uh, a very ambitious Transformers take on the Usual Suspects meets Inception mm. uh, in in space with robots fighting. But it added a fun a fun sort of thing to look forward to as those figures were coming out because uh, I, I think it, it it was mostly positive once it, you know one realized that the order of the figure release didn't impact the story as much because Feral Rex of course had a. A lot of uh, shuffling of the cards while those figures were coming out. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. The, the story, as long as you read the last two issues last, you can read any of the other four in any order. Yeah. Because the nature of the story is they're messing with Carnifax's memories. Uh, so, in fact, you can... Um, not Carnifax, sorry. Uh, Felis Saber. Felis Saber. Yeah. So, the, the idea, you, can, you can even read them multiple times in the wrong order. And then do the last two issues, and it still works. Uh, and that was part of the intention. Um, I hope that worked. I hope that pulled off. Because I was never sure which order they were coming out in when I was writing them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was that was a fun experiment. 
But usually, if I can if I can sink my teeth into something big and universe building, um, that's what I really enjoy. Which is why the Unrustable Bastards and the the Robo Dominion Saga is really exciting because we've we've plotted, we have the entire story for the Unrustable Bastards plotted, uh, including all the story with the Yamazukis and the Enforcers. That's all part of this one story. Mm-hmm. So it's one story, but uh, like three phases of toy releases. So we'll we'll do the Unrustable Bastards and repaints, recolors, retoolers, uh, and then we'll move on to the Yamazukis, and again there'll be some retooling, remolding, and then we'll move on to the Enforcers, which should probably be three to four original molds, uh, limited repaint options with those. Um, I suppose you can do inverse police colours. You can do like positive police colours like Prowl colour and you can do Barricade. But it's it's mm. making sure it works in universe. And then once the Unrustable Bastard story is done, the other one we've been knocking around is um more of a feudal Japan era transforming robots fighting for survival. Um very seven samurai. Uh, and we've already got the idea plotted and like We've mapped out the main characters from that story, uh, but you know, like I said earlier, you have to you have to figure out what you can make now. Oh yeah, uh, and, and that's and, uh, why. Oh good. The, the, that's why we went with the biker gang because um, often I'll get people going. Oh, are they are they all the same colours? Is it just the heads that are different? And it's like, well, yes. Um, which is partly a cost strategy, you know. Um, we're not mm. we're not millionaires. We do need to make a little bit of money on this so we can put that into the next project. So when we were make, coming up with the story, it's like, well, a biker gang has very uniform color schemes. It's sort of a way of doing the military thing without just doing military vehicles. Everyone has the yellowy orange bike, and they all fly the gang colors. There's no yeah. reason for them not to. It's like, you know, the Hell's Angels guy who comes into work wearing one of the other crew's jackets, he doesn't last very long. So <laughs> it's, it is form-following function. Yeah, I was going to say that um, the like the, the opening, you know, gang of, uh, of Seven, like, it, it's also a, a smart way to not have a Kickstarter that's going to go in, you know, in too many directions at once because it's like, end of the day, the bulk of this is you're going to produce a whole lot of the bike and the riders and then the swappable heads, you know, that, that pulls in the character aspect, but it means you're not having to worry about molding reverse color stuff, having to, to do like, you know, you, you basically are able to make a whole lot of the bike and then yeah. kind of go from there. And that's very yeah. realistic for a, a first run Kickstarter. Absolutely. For the first production run, it's like, how many do we need to make? How, uh, you know, at what point is that profitable? How do we do that? Um, and we've we've tried to be very open and transparent about that because it's, I think it's easy for people to be cynical and go, oh, they just want us to buy all seven figures, uh, which are the same but with different heads. And yes, of course we yeah. want you to buy all seven <laughs> figures, um, but there is a reason behind it, uh, and it's it's either going to be for you or it isn't. And we've tried very hard to make sure that. Even for the people who just back at the hundred and ten dollar pledge level, so you just get the the bike and the rider. There's a lot there to keep you interested because you have the heads for Iridi, the heads for Burley. So that's that's four different battle masks for the combined mode in total. So mm-hmm. that should give you a lot of different different play options for, for you know good bang for your buck. We hope, but it's mostly it's about being transparent and saying to people that yes, 
you know, we need to fund this. So those of you who are kind enough to buy the whole gang and get all seven, you really help us out. But you're also getting something unique as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I, I was quite happy to see your, uh, your, you know, listed pledge levels did not go too far down the page. Like, it's a very straightforward campaign. Um, yeah, it's I, I've and that comes from me being a backer uh, as well as someone running the campaign. I've backed several campaigns on various different accounts I've got. And I like it when I can look at the options and know exactly which one's for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a psychological test in America done uh, in the 60s where they launched a product range at a supermarket. And at half the supermarkets, they had like 20 different variations of this product. And at half the supermarkets, they had two or three choices of this product. Uh, I think it was like a condiment or a jam or something like that. It almost doesn't matter what the the product was. It's the findings that are interesting from that. And basically, the, the supermarkets where you had a choice of two or three, they sold loads because it was very simple. People could make a choice. Uh, and at the at the supermarkets where there was too much choice, people were confused. They didn't want to make the wrong choice, so they just left it. Yeah, and uh, I like I, I backed uh, I backed a couple toy Kickstarters, and like you know one of the one of the biggest ones to talk about was um, the Boss Fight Studios Vitruvian Hacks Kickstarter, and uh, that one as well as it did like it it kind of rode a real fine line of there being a billion figures. Well, you know, not really, really, really billion. It was like 16 plus blanks. But, like, there were a lot of figures in that thing. uh, A lot of stretch goals. And uh, it was a great example of, like, there were people who didn't touch it until all the stretch goals were out. Because it's like, well, now the whole menu is open to me, so I know what I'm getting. And psychologically, it does seem to have, like, a really certain effect on... on Yeah, totally. And and not to criticize them too heavily, but Kickstarter don't make that amazingly easy... For backers, so I've um, heard. <laughs> when, yeah, when you when you come in and pledge, they ask you what reward you want, uh, and you might want more than one reward, but you can't select more than one at the time. Yeah, so you have to do that thing of like, well, I got to do the math to figure out what to add to my pledge, and it, it's not nice to do. <laughs> no, no, and, it, and if you get it wrong, do you then not get the product you want? And you know, have you paid for postage as well? And it's. And literally, it would be like there's a box that they there's a line of code that needs changing on the Kickstarter website, which would allow people to tick more than one reward, and that's all they need to change. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, maybe we all need to start writing campaign to a uh, to Kickstarter. They could make it easier. Having been through a bunch of them, what I always try to tell people who you know haven't done a lot of toy Kickstarters is like, a the people running the Kickstarter don't want to leave you hanging high and dry. I've never known anyone running a Kickstarter who's going to go like, well, you clicked that one, so that's what you get, you know? Yeah, like if, and I if, think... If it's clear, like, you tried to put in money uh, and you tried to get something set up, I've never known a Kickstarter where the people running it won't work that out in emails. Um, yeah, I, I think they need to put greater emphasis on the uh, the backer surveys side of things. So at the end of the Kickstarter, we are going to send out, even though we've got very simple pledge goals... Uh, which shouldn't confuse anyone. We will be sending out surveys at the end just to make sure everyone is completely happy and know what they're getting. Yeah. And at, at that point, if people need to add a few dollars here or there to get the next thing, 
that's fine. We will work with people. Well, the, um, the other side of it is, um, I've been on, I've, I've gone through a lot of Kickstarters where then people go to services like Backerkit, where it's like, all right, we've been funded, but if you feel like, oh no, I didn't get everything I wanted, here is a menu where you can add things to your order, you know, quote unquote. Uh, it is a little bit more of a storefronty thing, which is a tricky thing to talk about with Kickstarter because it's not really a storefront. But yeah. there, there is a storefront um, interface post-campaign, a couple of them, in fact, that I've seen and used. And basically, I, you will always be able to, if you're a backer, you're going to be able to get the stuff you wanted, regardless yeah. of, of how uh, things uh, went. Very, it's very simple. At the end of the day, if, if you're not happy with something, talk to us and we'll work with you. Yeah. And that, that's the take-home. That's the real take-home. Well, and also, like you know, as far as far as what you got for exclusives, uh, that being primarily the other five members of the gang, so you know, uh, five sets of heads. Uh, I think it's been great because I've 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 had the conversation with people where they're like, oh, I don't know if I can really back beyond one bike, and this is a campaign where it feels like I think that's all they really want is they would just like you to back for a bike or two. Everything else yeah. there is is sort of for the. I would have called them the lunatic fringe, but there are seventeen backers at the four fifty plus levels, so. Yeah, that's yeah, more than I was expecting. <laughs> we we like those people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you back at one or two bikes, we're happy. If you if you give us five dollars and just say, you know, best of luck, we appreciate that as well. It's all it's all good as long as people are looking at the project, talking about the project, uh, and if they have any questions, they come to us. Then we're we're really happy. Um, yeah, you haven't six, built it on the back of all ins. Yeah. So, I mean, 67% isn't uh, quite where I'd like to be now, um, but it's it's healthy, and we can work with that, mm-hmm. and I'm still confident we'll make it. I would like to be closer to kind of 80 85%, but you, you work with what you've got. And uh, just the, the, the last thing I really want to touch on was um, the, the nature, like a lot of the photos are of your, your, your hand-painted resin prototype, which, uh, are you able to see who painted it? Uh, yes, uh, it's... Hang on, let me check his name. I don't want to get this wrong. Uh, it's um, a lovely lad called Jason, uh, who is amazing. <laughs> was it uh, Was it Get Right Robot? Yeah, there you go. Get Right Robot. I had a feeling, because I could have sworn I saw it on his Facebook page. But yeah, great. he did a great job. Um, yeah. Uh, amazing. And, and he did it in really short order, too. Um, oh, nice. Like, he, it arrived, and for whatever reason, our, our communication hadn't been what it was. And he was like, oh, what's this? Where did this come from? Uh, he spoke to Brandon at Chosen Prime. And uh, yeah, and he said, um, oh, this, this, yeah, you need to paint this, please, as quick as you can. And Jason was like, okay, everyone out the house. And he just sat there and painted it for like 36 hours straight until it was done. Man. Uh, amazing, amazing job. And that actually, you know, credit where it's due, that probably saved our Kickstarter. Because uh, he, he not only painted it, he did some great photos and got them to us really quick. Mm-hmm. As we launched, the first time I sent the Kickstarter for approval, all we got back was a very blunt message from Kickstarter saying, you can't use full color CAD renders with lighting and shadows and everything because it could be perceived that you don't have a product, a, an actual product and you're trying to deceive people into thinking you do. So with like three days to go, I had to completely rebuild the Kickstarter and get rid of all the photos and start again. And luckily, we had those photos from from Brandon. Nice. And yeah, 
that that saved the Kickstarter. So, woo! Yeah, well kick- done, well done to Get Right Robot. Kickstarter have got a lot of they got a lot of checks and balances uh, that they've built up over the years. I mean, like there's also a reason why the campaign is for the unrustable batards. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I um, actually I I was argue, I, I think on the actual podcast I was talking about that. Uh, I, I've been arguing about that to nobody except you know the the phantom of Kickstarter because I I I thought that we as a society had agreed that bastards was an okay word some years ago. I thought so. I mean, certainly in the UK, it's it's in the realm of PG thirteen. So yeah, that surprised me. But <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, just talking about the paint, like because uh, I think we talked about this in Chicago. When the figure's done, of course, it's going to be injection molded in color plastics. So uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, um, the loss will be it won't be quite as panel lined, but the gain will be that. Uh, I think you said a lot of those green parts are going to be translucent green. Uh, I think that's the plan. I couldn't swear to it. Okay, yeah, like that's that's at least like the the intent going in. Probably not the right person to answer that one, but I don't know where it is. I can I can ask and find out. Yeah, uh, and I mean, of course, if people have questions, it seems like you guys have been responding to your comments page. Uh, so that's that's probably the best way to ask a question. Yeah, yeah, that that and TFW. Um, TFW have been great. We like TFW, um, and I'm on there daily checking to see if people have any questions or concerns. I like TFW as well. They, I don't have to pay for hosting for the podcast. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that about I think that about that about runs through all the questions I had in mind. Is there anything else you'd really like to touch on while we're talking here? Just looking at my notes, and I think we have covered. Most stuff. We covered the comic. We covered custom customization. Uh, have we covered customization enough? Um, well, I, I guess like uh, to to really go into it, like the the custom figure um, would be the prospect, right? Yeah, the, the prospect is unpainted, um, and the idea of that is do your own thing with it, make him your own character, um, and you can do that with the big bike as well. Like if if people want to customize the big bike. That's awesome as well. We we definitely want to see that. And um, actually, we we should be doing a competition later this week with TFW. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm waiting to hear back from uh, Tony Backler. Uh, and the idea is, it's uh, we're putting out a blank image of the Unruffle Bastards in all modes. And if people want to digibash it or print it out and color it, and then submit it with a bit of a backstory, and then there'll be prizes as well so oh, that's cool. something to look out for definitely look out for that that should be up soon i i just realized there was one other thing um just info wise if people do want to wait uh or you know don't have the funds to to go in on the kickstarter right now uh is the plan like what should the kickstarter go through and production happens is the plan to then have that uh the burly irity uh headset and bike out as sort of the retail version yes yeah that's that will be absolutely the packaged retail version, the sell-through version. Um, we've talked to a few retailers, and yeah, it's all very positive. There are people willing to carry it. Uh, there does seem to be an audience for this, which is, you know, that's why you do a Kickstarter. It's it's market research as much as, it is, as it's funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we've got people emotionally invested now, so should be all good. But yeah, the absolute best chance people have of getting this stuff, though, is backing it now. Oh yeah, of course, and, uh, and you've absolutely got the best. the the other The other five headsets are going to be, uh, like you said, run of two hundred Kickstarter exclusive. Yeah, so I mean, we, we're going to make two hundred of those. I think no matter what, we we as a minimum, we have to print like two hundred. Yeah, um, yeah, 
So if if they don't get fully backed on the Kickstarter, then we're we're going to have some discussion about what to do with that because there will be two hundred made, and we said it's we said it's a Kickstarter exclusive, and we do want to stick to that. So uh, watch watch this space. We'll figure out a way of making that work for sure. Um, I, I guess just to close things up then, because you you know you are a toy fan, and it's the thing mm. we do here. Just a quick little Ender epilogue. Uh, is there any any cool uh, toy stuff you've picked up in the last week or so that's that's been on your mind? Oh god, um, I'm all about the. I call it the Takara bookends. So uh, <laughs> we all we all love G1. Everyone loves G1, right? I mean that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I especially love Diaclone. Um, including 1980 to 1982, where it was the science fiction Diaclone rather than the the car robots Diaclone. Yeah. So uh, great robot base and robot Fortress X are just two of the funnest things in my collection. Um, I also love the Brave Yusha Brave toy line because you can just see the Transformers influence throughout the entire line. You can tell it's the classic Takara designers working on, on the products. And I, I don't know why Brave doesn't have a better following or understanding in the Transformers fandom. Yeah, um, we, we tried back in the 2000s. There was a little uprising, and we kind of formed a thing, and it seemed pretty solid, but then... You know, Masterpiece Brave came and went. A bunch of us picked up the two figures they did. <laughs> yeah. And kind of just quieted down. I mean, Solo Chigokin Gaugagar was a moment. It was a definite yeah, moment. Yeah, um, and I think I think they will do more of the uh, Gaugagar King of Braves line. But I don't know if they'll move any further back from that. It seems to be that's that's the one that sunrise has the most freedom to use for some reason yeah so if, i mean if, if you look at the pvc figures they've released over the last 10 years it's always from king of braves uh, and i get that it was the most popular show so that it makes sense from that point of view as well um but yeah they they definitely don't do a lot with the early stuff the rights um, are very weird on that stuff because uh, it, it was I mean, they've they've been able to do they've done a couple uh, super robot Shogokins of you know like the the other popular ones like Jay Decker and Mike Gain, but the as far as I, I remember, as far as I remember the rights on that stuff is it was designed by the Sunrise guys and it was engineered by the Takara guys, and then that split caused very strange rights issues for a good number of years. Uh, mm. Which I believe was was mostly sorted out by the time they got to doing Masterpiece Brave X Kaiser, but uh, that's why Brave was sort of off the radar for quite a while, and it's why the Brave Saga video games have weird stuff like Votoms being in those games as well, because it's, it's that's how the rights kind of came together. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I just picked up one of the uh, PlayStation Brave games, Brave Saga, and it's like uh, I don't have a Japanese PlayStation. I have no way of playing that game, but the box art sure is pretty. <laughs> yeah, I, I got Brave Saga 2 during a high school trip to Japan, and for a long time it was the instruction book was full of character art, and there's a lot of cool designs in there that a lot of people don't know about, and you can't really Google that easily. Um, like, that's actually where the name Victorion comes from, is Brave Saga 2. Uh, which is I why did I, not know that. That's why I got so psyched. That's why I'm still so psyched about Victorion, because I, I can't believe that that name now exists again. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it was hard to play. That was a four disc RPG that I played on a PlayStation that was modded with like the spring and the lid, 
So <laughs> I, I had to do some CD acrobatics to do disc swaps. Nice. Yeah, I miss I miss modded consoles. So. I got a lot of mileage. I got a lot of mileage out my original PlayStation and my original Xbox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's getting late over there, and I'm I'm I am legit out of questions, so I'll, I'll let you go. But uh, cool, man. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. No, for sure. Thanks for coming by, and uh, you know, it's also always great to talk to folks who are involved in the making of uh, of toys of any kind. So uh, I'll th- also throw it out there as a little invitation. Anyone else who's working on figures and wants to talk, like. I want to talk. Even, you know what? Doubly so. If I've talked smack on a figure you made that you were really proud of, I would like to talk to you about it. If you know, if you just want to come on here and go like, "Yo, your taste sucks," whatever. I want to talk about making toys. Nice. Um, hey, maybe we should do a brave show at some point. Right. Let's get right? let's get the brave community back up. There, <laughs> there's a thread somewhere in the Toy Arc sub forum on TFW that was all about brave. I think it's still in there somewhere. Um. But yeah, Sid, uh, thanks for coming by. If anyone uh, wants to check out the Kickstarter, it is uh, the Mayhem Mechanics on Rustable Bastards. Uh, you can look them up on Facebook, on on many social medias, on TFW. Uh, on Kickstarter, you might have to look up Unrustable Batards. Uh, yeah, if you go on the Kickstarter, just search Mayhem with a top result. Uh, Alright. Or the easiest way of doing it, it's tinyurl.com forward slash unrust. Alright. So you just need to remember Unrust. It's, it's that easy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's actually how I searched it on Kickstarter because I figured there, the Unrustable would be a pretty unique name on there. Yeah, right exactly. Now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, that, and that's that's interesting because that's one of those things that when you create a product line in this day and age, you have to have that unique search result. So that was fairly easy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, ask questions. Like as you can hear, Sid is open to talking about the stuff he works on. So. You know, get dialogues going with them and uh, keep <laughs> your eyes on uh, on the skies. But, uh, yeah, thanks for coming by. That's been a supplemental. That's been some unrustable bass talk here on WTF at TFW.